Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is that you are listening to this podcast. Welcome once again to another episode of So Am I a Horror Fan. I am your singular co-host for this episode, Simon. I hope everyone is well. Uh, thank you to everyone that has checked out our uh, Wolfman episode, um, the last episode for our Universal Horror Month, which was all throughout the month of October. I'm glad you guys enjoyed the episodes that we put out. It was really interesting to cover some... Um, really really old classic horror movies um obviously we will be starting our november programming this friday um, and november is horror adaptations month which is going to be super fun we're both very looking forward to that um <clears throat> excuse me in case you guys are wondering why i am the singular host of this these episodes um it is because lee has been ill uh, as i'm sure you heard in our wolfman episode um, she is feeling a little bit better, um, but she was, you know, these the the three films that we are covering on Halloween are films that she had sort of little to no interest in, and ones that I kind of caught up on while she was not feeling very well. So, um, as I'm sure you saw on our social media, I, I did put a post out saying that I'd been catching up on some horror films while she was not feeling very well. Um, the three films being Talk To Me, which will be the subject of this episode, uh, the Exorcist colon Believer and uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, I did ask if you guys wanted them to all have be one giant episode. We put a poll out on Twitter. Um, the the votes were for them to be three separate episodes. So as today is Halloween, you will have three brand new, very short, uh, well not very but shorter episodes from me um, as I review Talk to Me, The Exorcist Believer. And Five Nights at Freddy's. So that's our little gift to you. Happy Halloween. You get to have three episodes solely consisting of me. But if you want one of me and Lee, uh, we have one that we put out yesterday. If you're listening to this today, it goes out on The Wolfman. And we will have an episode on Friday, uh, which will be our 5x5 five five on our top five kills slash death scenes. So you will still get some Lee content this week if that's what you guys are after. But for the purpose of today, it's just going to be singularly me content. So with that in mind, I hope you guys all have had an amazing October. I hope you guys have had an amazing Halloween or are having an amazing Halloween, whatever it is that you guys have got up to. Um, you know, living in the UK, Halloween's not as big over here as it is in some countries. But, you know, it's it's still nice to to get the Halloween decorations out and watch crap slasher movies. So... Um, you know, that's kind of what we have been doing. Um, so today on, well, did I say today's episode? In this episode, we are going to be talking about Talk To Me, the 2022 slash 2023, um, Australian horror movie directed by Danny and Michael Filippo, also known as the YouTube sensations Raka Raka, uh, written by Danny Filippo and Bill Hinsman. And based on a concept and treatment by Daly Pearson, who is the, um, I guess, the CEO of Ludo. He's the founder of Ludo Studios, which is an Australian production company. Um, he also played Daryl in Thor um, Love and Thunder and Thor Ragnarok. And he was in the little the little Daryl shorts um, with Thor. Uh, he's also one of the executive producers of the Australian kids show Bluey. Um which I'm apparently told is very, very good. Uh, I have a lot of friends who have children who have informed me that this show is very good. 
and that I should probably check it out. So big up Bluey being part of the horror community, I guess. Um, this film stars Sophia Wilde as Mia, Alexandra Jensen as Jade, Joe Bird as Riley, Otis Dungy as Daniel, Miranda Otto as Sue, Zoe Tarakis as Haley, Ari McCarthy as Cole, Sonny Johnson as Duckett, Marcus Johnson as Max, and Alexandria Stephenson as Rhea. Um, I don't really know where to start with this movie. Um, this is a really fucking weird movie. Um, it's one of the most talked about horror movies of the year. Um, I missed it when it came to the cinema, so it's now on Netflix here in the UK and I believe in the US. So I took the opportunity to watch it on Netflix and it's kind of weird. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of like if somebody took the idea of like um, a TikTok challenge and flatliners and put it together. What was that fucking challenge that kids were doing? The Tide Pod challenge, like the Tide Pod challenge or like the one where the kids were burning themselves on the fucking ovens and shit. You know, these really these stupid TikTok trends where you're like, no sane human being should do that or would do that. But, you know, inevitably we get overrun with videos of kids doing or teenagers doing dangerous stuff. So it seems like somebody took the idea of that, put a supernatural spin on it, and then went, okay, then the second half of this movie is just kind of going to be like Flatliners. And I was like, okay. Because um, I think I think the Flatliners comparison is a little bit more flimsy, but in terms of what happens once the doorway has been opened, I guess the aftermath of the initial event is very similar to Flatliners. Um, the original... Not so much a remake, because or, or legacy sequel. I don't really know what the fucking one with um, Elliot Page and Nina Dobrev was meant to be. Um, but anyway, so for those of you that don't know, Talk To Me focuses on a group of teenagers in Australia who have come in contact with an embalmed dead hand, which is uh, covered in writing. Um, and they play a game where you can put your hand in the embalmed hand, say, talk to me, and then I let you in. And you're only supposed to do it for 90 seconds, but you can kind of see what's on the other side. Uh, any longer than 90 seconds, and the, the, the demon or the spirit will want to stay. Um, and then they, they film it on their phones and then upload it to social media or share it amongst friends, because teenagers. Um... If you want one of the really sexy embalmed hands that are in this, you can buy one from A24. Because this is an A24 movie, you can buy one from A24 for about £120. Or there is a version of the film that comes on Blu-ray from the A24 store where you can get the hand included as part of a gift set. Just in case you wanted to try this shit at home yourself or if you fancied a funky paperweight for your office. Because A24 have never seen a piece of merchandise that they didn't want to sell for extortionate amounts of money on their website. I'm looking at you, hereditary gingerbread treehouse. But anyway, I digress. I actually don't mind A24. I think A24 make interesting films. Um, so that's the basic setup of the film, is that there's the hand, the game, and then obviously what happens afterwards. Now, I had really high expectations for this film. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I knew who Raka Raka were, or who, any, who anybody involved in this movie was before it came out. 
I have since checked out some of Raka Raka's YouTube videos. In the same way with Radio Silence, when I started watching films by Radio Silence, I went and checked out some of their videos. And it is insane to me that when you watch, like, the Star Wars versus Harry Potter videos that they were doing in their driveways, that are very light-hearted but very well-made, that they are kind of guys who did what is being classed as a very mean-spirited, very dark, very nihilistic horror movie. But I find that is always the way. Like, when people graduate from making YouTube shorts or when people graduate from making short films, it's kind of interesting to see them do something that's like, like quite light-hearted to then go full, hit the red button and do something very nihilistic. Um, this movie is very dark. It deals with a lot of dark subjects. Um, some subjects that may be upsetting for people. So... Um, just for the purpose of if you are listening to this episode and you are affected by any any of the things, you know, this film does deal with things like mental health and it also deals with the theme of suicide. So if those things are upsetting to you, then um, I would strongly urge you not to listen to the rest of this uh, episode. Also, I, it's going to be really hard for me to not talk about this film without talking about spoilers. So this will be a spoiler episode. Uh, I mean, the film came out in cinemas a few months ago. It is on Netflix now. So I would strongly urge you before I talk about the rest of this film um, to go and watch the film for yourself. Or or if you are listening to this, I assume that you aren't that bothered about spoilers because there will be spoilers in this. Because it's one of those films I can't really talk about it without talking about spoilers um, or talk about it competently without talking about spoilers. So... Uh, those are your two warnings for content and for um, spoilers. Um, I hope someone's still listening. Um, but yeah, so basically you find out at the beginning of the film that, um, you know, it opens with kind of a cold open. You see a guy at a party. He's looking for his brother. He finds his brother in this house and he's got like cuts on his back and he's like in this room on his own. And then he's trying to take his brother out of the party. The brother stabs him. And then stabs himself in the head and then we're off to the races. It's only later on that you find out that the reason why he's done this is because he was under the influence of having played the game previously with the hand. But they reveal that later on in the film. I will say as far as cold opens go, it's quite an audacious one. Uh, it puts you right into the world of the film straight away. And it's kind of shocking. It makes you sit there and go, OK, um, it's going to be this kind of movie. All right. And it kind of, it, it bolts you awake, um, I feel, like a lot of good horror movies should. They should give you a jolt right out the gate and then get you locked in. Um, and that's exactly what this film does. Another film that does this really, really well is Midsummer, uh, which is another A24 film. The opening of Midsummer is fucking insane. And like, as much as I feel like that movie went off the rails towards the end... I that opening is a fucking all timer for me, and I will always appreciate how fucking ballsy the opening of that movie is. Um, but yeah, so we kind of skip ahead a little bit. We're introduced to some of the other characters. We're introduced to a kid called Riley, um, his mate, and then we obviously we meet Mia, who the film thinks makes you think at the beginning uh, him, Riley and Mia are brother and sister, but they're not. It turns out that Riley is uh, Mia's best friend Jade's brother, but she was there picking him up from this this event that he's been at and then you're kind of introduced to like the core characters which are Mia uh played by Sophia Wilde uh Jade played by Alexandra Jensen and then Joe Bird Riley who are like the core I guess kind of friends slash family unit in this and then obviously uh you meet uh Jade's mum who's played by Miranda Rosso 
Or as I as I said when I was uh, why I watched this before I looked it up, I was like, holy shit, it's the woman from Lord of the Rings. Um, and then obviously, like you find out a little bit about Mia's backstory. Um, you find out obviously that her mum's not around and that her dad's still there. There is a really tense scene at the beginning of this movie when Riley and um, Mia are driving home and they see like a dying kangaroo on the floor. Now, the dying kangaroo is a motif that like reappears later in the film. And I'm sure the minute I hit send on this episode and it goes out to the world and someone listens to it, someone's probably going to tell me what the fucking kangaroo means. But I was really confused as to why the the dying kangaroo came back later on. I was like, because they don't kill the kangaroo, they just leave the kangaroo dying on the side of the road. And it's kind of weird because there's a, mo- there's a really pivotal moment towards the end of the film where the dying kangaroo pops up again. And I was kind of like trying to figure out like what it meant but I wasn't really sure in context what the dying kangaroo meant um you know so if anybody knows or uh, if anybody can point me in the direction of one of those like ending explained videos that kind of explains the purpose of the kangaroo I'd be more than happy to uh kind of listen I kind of put it together in my head of like either the dying kangaroo was like rep meant to represent her mum who we found out committed suicide and how she was dying and she was just waiting for someone to put her out of her misery. Or there is a bit at the end uh, where a similar situation is happening and I, I think the kangaroo was meant to represent somebody suffering and somebody being put out of their misery. However, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it just kind of seemed like the kangaroo was there. So, yeah, forgive me if I'm being stupid or if anybody actually knows the answer. If somebody could please explain it to me, that would be fucking wonderful. Sorry. So we then proceed to kind of find out about Mia and Riley and um, Jade's relationship, you know, and then they go to this party. Um, basically, um, Mia used to date a guy called Daniel, who's now dating Jade, who's a good Christian boy. Um, and basically, it kind of puts Jade at odds with her mum because her mum's a bit overprotective. They go to this party where Daniel's going to be there. They take Riley with them. And that's the first time we see like the hand really in action um, because they they go to this party and like nobody really likes Mia. Nobody really wants Mia there, but they kind of like talk her into doing the thing with the hand. So you see someone do it and then she does it and then she starts like contorting and looking like she's possessed and she sees like this guy in front of her. And then obviously she goes a little bit longer than like 90 seconds the room starts changing, everything starts getting grim and gross and like fucked up and they all start panicking, they think something's going to happen to her and you kind of, this is what is like the chain event of like setting the film in motion is finding out that she actually saw something, like it wasn't a wind up, like um, and you know she potentially brought something through with her. Now the person that she's talking to is like a woman and you think that she's like started to drown um and she starts because spot- initially when she does it she sees a man and then the second time she does it she sees like a, a bloated woman who looks like she's drowned but when she's being possessed i guess by the woman they start making references to riley who's uh obviously jay's brother being like the person that they want and like you know all this kind of stuff which really freaks him out and it kind of it, it's interesting the way that they portray 
the hand in this movie and like the power that it has on the kids because it's almost like a high and like a possession and it's kind of like a bunch of kids getting high off of like what is essentially them being possessed or communing with the dead and it's a really interesting way that they kind of portray it in this film and I will say as much as there are moments in this film that I had issue with the actual game or the possession itself the the moments where they're using the hand are like really interesting um and it's kind of fascinating to see how they could take something as dark and as sinister as this and relay it to like generationally what's going on in the world today like as i say like tiktok trends real trends like you know, back in the day, like vines, you know, kids getting together and doing something because they're not supposed to be doing it. And how in this instance it has like, I guess it, it goes back to like kids playing with Ouija boards and like, you know, that kind of thing, that kind of like we're doing something that we shouldn't do that we think might be fake. But oh God, it actually has like serious real world consequences. Um, this is the ultimate Fafo movie, the ultimate fuck around and find out movie, as we find out later on in the film. Yes, you know, children shouldn't play with dead things. Um, but yeah, I mean, so the 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 actual the actual premise of this movie is fucking great. Like the idea of the hand and what the hand means and what you can do with it. I mean, it was inevitable something like this in today's generation um, was going to become you know, a viral thing or, or whatever. And, you know, but it's, it is interesting to see the effect that it has on the kids. And like, especially in the first instance, because they all think that it's fake. You know, what I, what I find hilarious though, is that they've all been doing this clearly for a while before like Mia and um, Jade go to this one party. The other kids have been doing this or teenagers have been doing this for a while, yet they still seem to think that she's faking it. And I'm like, so does that mean you guys have been faking it? Or are you just, I don't really understand like that kind of side of it. I was like, do you think that she's faking it to try and fit in? Or have you guys been faking it? Or like, you know, have you just not had the right experience? I guess very similarly to like when, you know, having never done it, but like when you take drugs, I imagine like, you know, everybody's experience is different. Like, you know taking cocaine affects people in different ways so you know i guess you could pretend to take cocaine and fake it for the sake of other people but yeah it's interesting to see how they react to her reactions and you know there's a you know it's typical teenager stuff they're like you know this is fun hey like you lol you know um and then shit gets weird um you know there's not a huge amount to this film um plot wise other than you know they go back for a second time you know they go and that's that's when it hurt like that's when the film starts to get really weird because they go back for a second time and um mia sees her mum the second time through riley because she 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 connects with something the second time and then there's like a montage of them all doing it and then they convince riley to do it and riley gets taken over by her mum or she believes he's made contact with her mum and then there's a really fucking cool hereditary style shot where he starts smashing his head against the table and then he starts smashing his head against 
like the side and they think he's dead and then we go through this whole like melodrama of him being in hospital and then him like they think that he's gonna die and you start seeing like the unraveling of the group and then Mia's start Mia starts being haunted by like the the thing that came through from the other side there's like a really weird scene where she's like in bed with Daniel and she wakes up and he's like sucking on her he wakes up and she's sucking on his foot and then it's kind of this weird thing of like they start going down more of the like flatliners route and like the kind of like is it all in her head is she really there like is she dangerous like they start playing with that idea of something has come through and like what has come through and like you know she becomes more obsessed with you know the communication with her mom and she starts seeing the visions and like the veil of like the real world and the, and the the possession world is starting to like come unraveled and there's a cool a couple of cool like little jump scares in this and you know but it's more focused on her unraveling and her need to like communicate with her mum she finally has a there's a finally a scene where like Mia confronts her dad about um her mum's suicide and he shows her the suicide note and there's this really fucking amazing sequence where they're in um where she thinks that she's being attacked by her dad. She's in a closet and she thinks that she's being attacked by him or that's what we're led to believe. And then he actually goes in to see if she's okay and she actually stabs her dad in the neck. Um, but it's never really like dealt with. Um, and then we obviously get a little bit more about like the hand and where the hand came from and obviously what happened to like Duckett at the beginning who is the guy who killed himself and like stabbed his brother. And then we find out basically about like how the possession works. Like eventually like the human, if, if, if they pull something through, like eventually the human host breaks down. Um, so they go on a quest to kind of try and like kill Riley to save Riley. Like they have to kind of try because Riley, they are still convinced has got the like demon inside of him. But really, it's Mia who's possessed by the demon of whatever it is that's come through. Um, and then we kind of don't really. It kind of feels like the second half of the movie is rushed. It feels like, you know, you get the stuff of Mia being like seeing like the possession world the real world not knowing what's real not knowing what's right like wanting to save riley who's kind of in a coma at the moment and they they kind of have this plan of like how they're going to save him and it starts like really focusing more on that and more on like you know yeah so basically riley needs to to die in order to be free of his possession and um she and this is where it comes in with like the kangaroo thing because she goes to the hospital to free Riley because she's like told that Riley needs to die to be free of his possession. And actually, it's not that at all. But she sees the kangaroo motif when she goes to the hospital to save him. And I'm like, okay, there's that kangaroo again. So does the kangaroo represent Riley? Does it represent something that like needs to die in order to be set free? And that's why she's seeing it again. Like, is it something to do with her mum? Again, call me an idiot all you want. But, like, if you're going to put abstract shit in your film, then, like, I'm going to be like, I don't know what this means. So, Riley is kidnapped, I guess, from the hospital 
by Mia. She is being told that she needs to set him free. But in, in actuality, like he's not the one who's possessed. Mia is the one who is possessed. And she's being told that like they need to kind of kill him in order to set him free. So she tries to roll him into traffic, but she stops... Um, you know, when one of the, when she basically stops um, and then she's the one that's like left in the road, essentially, um, she gets, she gets badly injured and um, it kind of, the movie kind of comes to an end there. So she finds herself in the hospital and she thinks that she's like free or that she's like going to be okay. But, like, the closing shot of this movie is so fucking gnarly because she wakes up at the hospital after she's, like, attempted to push Riley into to the traffic. And she wakes up in the hospital and you think everything's going to be okay. And then the last shot of this movie is her and then you hear somebody else on the other side saying, like, talk to me, I let you in. And, like, her hand goes out. Which obviously is the like the implication. Well, it's not even an implication. It's that she is now dead. She has been released, and now she is in the spirit world. And somebody else has the hand, and is now trying to communicate with her or trying to bring her forth through. Which, interestingly, if it if if that now it's kind of hard to say whether that was intended to set up a sequel because we know that a sequel is coming. Um, called i don't know what it's going to be called but if it's not called talk number two me then what are we even doing here um but it's it's hard to know if that was intentionally done as a sequel tease or if now because we know there's a sequel coming out that was like set up our sequel bait but it's a very interesting closed loop it's the idea of like them awakening the spirit her being possessed by something you know this incessant need of hers to kind of like try and communicate with her mother from the other side like her obsession her like slow decline like being possessed by whatever the thing is that possessed her and then for her to now see herself on the other side of that and to be one of these like spirits that's trapped in this realm um i will say this movie has a fucking amazing opening and a fucking amazing ending the film has an incredible premise like the idea of the talking hat like the, the, the being able to talk to the dead through the possessed hand. Like, the possessed hand itself is a fucking really cool cursed object. Anybody that knows me and know, has been listening to this podcast for a while knows that I fucking love cursed objects. Um, and the idea of, like, you know, the hand being, like, the gateway, you know, kind of like a modern update to a Ouija board is really fucking interesting. It's just kind of everything else that the film does afterwards when, you know... It, it kind of drops the hand gimmick and becomes like, as I say, Flatliners light, where it's like, you know, oh, I'm being haunted by this thing. Like, it never really sets up the rules of its world correctly, other than like, or at least to me, it didn't really, it set up this really cool premise and then it never really sets up like the, the rest of the world building or the lore past that. It's like, Mia may or may not be possessed. Riley may or may not be possessed. You know, we now have to kind of, figure out what's going on and i think the movie kind of loses steam halfway through because it doesn't really know what to do with the premise once the possessions and the unraveling of the real world and the veil between the real world and the spirit world kind of take over and you know there is some effective stuff in this movie like the ending's quite good 
Um, and there's a, a couple of like, like the scene with her dad where she kills her dad's quite shocking, but it never really feels to me when I hear people talk about how mean spirited and nasty and gory and horrible this film is. Like I sit there and go, did we kind of watch the same film? Like, I don't think it's an unaffected film. I just don't think it's as good as it could have been. And I don't think it ever really fully pushes the premise as much as it could have done. And, you know, you kind of get into the typical A24 territory of like, oh, you know, she played the game and then, you know, she's convinced that she's like can talk to her mum and that her mum's going to be there. And you start getting into the whole like, you know, what part did her grief play in this? Are the spirits really like a symbolism like for her grief? And, you know, how far will we go to like get over our grief for something? And, you know, all this sort of situation, which is kind of typical A24 fare, but. I just, I don't know if maybe watching it for a second time, it will become a little bit more clear to me. But I felt like this was one of those films that had a lot to say about, you know, uh, death, possession, you know, like fucking around and finding out, I guess, like the things that teenagers do and gateways and things that should never be opened and you know, it speaks to a very modern audience. It feels like a very modern horror film. It feels like the cat the characters all feel like real people, which is really refreshing for a horror movie. But it never really hits that apex for me. There was never really that, that moment where I was like, holy... Like, outside of the opening and the first time you see Mia get possessed, I was a bit like, this never really took it to the places that I thought it was ever going to go. And... You know, it's interesting, like, obviously they made Mia the central character. They made the whole thing about her mum committing suicide, the central thing. And, you know, she's the one that comes back haunted. You know, like, obviously Riley gets haunted because he's potentially haunted by the spirit of her mother, which leads her to this path. But then you don't actually ever really know if he it. Like, maybe I just, maybe I wasn't paying attention or maybe the film wasn't clear enough. But it feels like the spirit used her mum in Riley to get her to kind of do what she needed to do because they wanted Riley. And there's like, there's some very mixed messaging in this film. And maybe it's just me. I imagine there's a lot of people that love this movie that will probably come and comment at me and be like, you are a fucking idiot. You just didn't understand it. Like, you know, it's so, so good. And I'm fully prepared for that. And I'm fully prepared to hold my hands up and go, maybe there are things that I missed. Maybe there are things that, you know, I didn't see, you know, at the end of the day, like I've, I will I will probably watch it again to kind of see if there was more that I missed. But for me, for a film that was so hyped and so talked about for being this mean, nasty, like horror movie that's going to get under your skin, I never really felt that. I never really felt like, you know, the movie pushed it as far as it could have done. Um, by all means, like by all accounts, it's a very well-made movie. It's a very well-directed movie considering... The Filippo brothers came from like YouTube shorts and this is our first feature film and they made it on a small budget and then sold it to A24. Like it's an incredible success story and it's a very well directed film. And I really hope in the second movie that they kind of push the world out a lot more and they kind of explain a little bit more about like the law of the hand and like what actually happens to people. Because it feels like to me that the idea was there and the premise was there, but some of the execution and, and there's like a little bit of stuff missing that makes this movie feel incomplete to me um but we will see what happens when the second one comes out but yeah by all means it's a film that i had high expectations for 
but I'm, I think there are certainly moments of promise in it, and I think there is a lot where they can take the movie if they do make us when they do make the sequel if they do get a bigger budget if they do get you know more chance to push that world out it'll be fascinating to see where it goes as long as this doesn't become an insidious situation and we end up with like five of these fucking things i'll be i'll be happy um but yeah let me know guys like come tell me i'm an idiot tell me what makes this movie incredible for you guys tell me what things i missed explain the kangaroo to me like if you didn't like it tell me why you didn't like it you know let's open a discussion it's one of the most talked about horror movies of 2023 like let's open up a discussion like i really want to know i really want to understand why people love this movie and you know if there's things that i missed by all means tell me the things that i missed explain those things to me like you know I want to know. I want to know. What, I want to know what I missed, and you know, I want to know why it, this movie was so beloved. But for me, I would say this movie is probably a three out of five. It has some really good atmosphere. Has some really, really good strong performances in it. It has a really good opening and ending. I just think that the second half of the movie didn't live up to the premise of the first movie. Uh, the first half of the movie, and I, I think that it's shifted gears too quickly and almost felt like two different films. But again. Let's open a discussion. Tell me why you like this movie. Tell me why you didn't like this movie. I want to know. Um, and are you looking forward to the sequel? Um, as always, guys, uh, social media, S-I-M-A-H-F-Pod, Twitter, Samara Horror Fan, all lowercase, all one word, on Tumblr and Instagram. Um, I will be back with a couple more episodes and then we'll be back as a duo on Friday. So stay spooky, stay safe, take care, guys. Bye.